2: Good
3: morning. Thanks for joining us. I am your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com with my host, Lauren Beller-Blake. Thanks for joining both of us this morning. And you're not just joining us because we have a guest this morning who's going to be coming soon, Dr. Robert Levine. He's author of Shock Therapy for America's Healthcare System, Why Comprehensive Reform is Needed. It's definitely needed. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. Do you, Lauren?
2: I'm thinking people are arguing
3: with that. <laughs> are there? So you're telling me the people out there, because you just you said you went to a conference recently, okay, who are arguing that we don't need healthcare reform?
2: Yeah, that it's a great system and it's leave it, don't touch it. I just think that's crazy.
3: And what's their rationale? What do you mean, don't touch it? We spend, and I've got the statistics right here seventeen percent of the economy, or two point five trillion dollars
2: back exactly. rising yeah and I was seeing there was a great segment last night on CNN that talked about the, why it's so expensive, and the it's really about our the, the whole system really needs to be revamped because it's not efficient. It's just not efficient. It's extremely cost-effective, and it's based on mistakes and doctors needing to do more than they really want to do, but they don't want to be sued and just so many issues.
3: Yeah, well, you just named a couple, so uh, let's wait for those because this is what Dr. Levine is going to talk about. This is the stuff that he... Uh, addressed in his book, and he takes each one of those points that you, that you just said and really goes through them. So. But how about this? We're always talking about Twitter, and Twittering, and you know I like to travel, right? So Twittering and traveling. I came up uh-huh. with this on a CNN last week, six ways to leverage social media for smoother travel. Do you know what I'm talking about? six say it again six ways six to six ways to leverage social media for smoother travel.
2: I don't know those ways. I'm looking forward to hearing.
3: Yeah, this this is very cool. This is taking Twitter and making it very practical especially when you're traveling and most of us are traveling all the time, business, pleasure, whatever, right? Yeah. And this is a this happened uh to a woman whose kids were on an airplane. She was in she was at JFK. And they were fl- on an airplane, Virgin Air, I guess it was, and the plane wasn't taking off, okay, and she didn't know what the story was, and they were sitting on the tarmac for 90 minutes waiting, right? Uh-huh. This, this woman is a blogger. Yep. She took out
2: her iPhone.
3: Mm-hmm. And she started Twitter- twittering to her 10,000 followers. Uh-huh. And to Virgin Air and said that her kids were on the tarmac. They had been on there for 90 minutes. What was going on? No one was telling them. She was concerned. She said, I'm at JFK, gate B25, um, and she's PLSRT. Please re So what happened was all of these 10,000 people peoples, who re-twittered, got the message to Virgin Air. They, in response, got the called the gate manager, explained everything to the passengers, the weather situation, et cetera. Within 20 minutes of that conversation, the plane took off.
2: Amazing. That's a great story. That's the power of social networking right there. There is the
3: power of social networking. And it talked about the three phases that, you know, we've gone through. Like, first we had websites where so people were upset. So and exactly. we, You know, it could be about anything, but we're talking about traveling. Say you went and stayed at a hotel and it was really crummy or the restaurant sucked or whatever, right? So you write in a website, but that's not real time. That's like after the fact and then how you feel about it. The emotions kind of get dissipated. Not that it doesn't have some kind of an impact, but it does, right? Um. And that's like the website stuff, and then you got, and then the well, that was the blogging, I guess, and websites, and now you get into Twitter, twittering, where
2: it's all in real time. So, exactly. like, customer service is going to have to improve. It's so interesting. That's a great, great example. Now, I was at a women's conference this past week, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was a four day conference. I didn't stay for the last day, but anyway, it was amazing to watch the people use their technology. People were twittering on. The speakers in the front of the room, real-time. So people around the country were getting a sense. They were getting real quotes from people that were on the stage. They were getting real-time pictures of people getting awards in the moment. And I thought, oh, my God, I had no idea people were using it like this.
3: And they're also using it. Now, this is a, this was, in, I think it was the New York Times in the Sunday section last week, Lauren, but there there are certain clubs in New York now or parties that are people- that are invited to and they you have to agree that you won't Twitter because let's say you're at a party where there's some high-profile people, movie stars, whoever, and they don't want you to be Twittering that they're there and what they're, maybe they're having fun, maybe they're drunk, whatever they are. They don't want you Twittering to, around
2: the world as to what's happening. So you I have agree. To talk, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's, kind, that's well, people are doing it because it's, it's information they're not told at this point. I mean, it had that room, everybody was Twittering. It was amazing. And um, it, there was nobody that was telling them not to. They actually wanted them to. So I guess it depends on the situation.
3: Yeah, your situation, that's cool because this is a lecture. But it's an open forum anyway. Exactly. They're there an open in front of forum. thousands of people, hundreds of people anyway. So, okay, they extend it to millions of people around the world. Uh, p- private parties are different. I mean, it's interesting to think about all the different ways that this Twitter that is. Yeah. Endless opportunities. I mean, say someone's at your house. You have a party. You have your kids there. You have your daughter there. You don't particularly want them Twittering and tweeting about exactly what your daughter is doing at the moment. At the party? It's at true. The par- That's a good yeah, one. I at the party. That. It may be very invasive. I mean, it may be something that only the people at the party, because those are the people you invited. You didn't invite 10 million other people to your party.
2: It's true. It's a private party. Now, I'm doing my first ever Twitter contest this week to give people a discount. Only one will get chosen um, to give them a discount on my services. But my goal is to gain more followers. All right. So, what is the Twitter contest? Tell us what it is. What give us the well? Whole thing. Anybody following me? Um, they as I'm going to put out a question today, and the question will be they have to answer the question within 15 minutes. I'm going to put the rules, They'll put the rules will go out in one sentence at a time because that's all you can do with Twitter. And not that there's that many rules. There's just a couple, and they'll have 15 minutes to tweet back publicly. I do not want them to direct message me because I want to generate some activity using my name, my handle, and at the end, we're going to put all the names, like all, like there'll be tons, right? We'll put the names in a hat and we'll choose one.
3: But wait, if you you have to explain this to me like a Neanderthal, <laughs> there, you're you got the question out there, whatever the question is, and and people are going to tweet you the answer. Yep. How do you know? Wait, how do you know who
2: got it right? I mean, you might get... Oh, it's, that's not the first one to answer. There, you'll have 15 minutes. I'll watch the clock for 15 minutes, and anybody within that 15 minutes that answers it correctly will go in a hat. You know, okay. their name will be put in a, in the mix, and then only one will be chosen.
3: Oh, okay. So let's say technically you could get 100 winners. Then you take those and you put them in the hat or exactly. The... Yeah, the, the, bin, the whatever, yeah. the digital hat. Exactly. You put it in the digital hat, and then you pick one. Uh, you'll pick one winner, and then they get. Say it again. A discount on my on our services. That's a that's great. We'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, before I say that's one, great, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Maybe if there are any glitches, well, I don't think so. It sounds like just. Well, the, oh, the glitch will be as if no one responds.
2: Well, I'll respond. <laughs> i great at games. Oh, that's, and you're probably really good at Trivial Pursuit, but this I is going to be—I'm not even giving pursuit. away what the question is. So <laughs>
3: Scrabble, you name it. I guess you're really good at that. Yeah, so you'll have your followers. Don't worry. It's you got to get the whole. That's a very cool thing to do. All right. So well, next week we we'll t- do. Can we denounce the? Do we announce the winner, or is that private, or
2: what? No, we, I'm going to announce the winner. Okay, but I don't know yet who it is because we haven't done the contest. But it's today. Contest today, folks, and we'll um, announce tomorrow because it will give us a few. I might announce today. We'll see. We'll right. see. I'll, it's fun. So I do think Twitter is a really powerful tool. And I got to be honest with you, Catherine. Six months ago, I had no clue what this site was. I had, didn't get it. I totally didn't get it. It was sort of stupid to me, quite frankly. And now I get it. It's very powerful.
3: It, it's ex- and it's going to. I think it's going to all evolve. I mean, I'm not sure. There's. It's evolving. The the Definitely. Twitter yeah it's evolving in terms of how people use it. Um,
2: and what's interesting is I'm even noticing me getting very strategic about who I choose to follow. I don't follow everybody back. I follow certain people back. You know, it's like you know, it's really interesting. It's you have to get strategic about your plan, your strategy with Twitter because you want to be able to. Have, there's a whole strategy that you want equal numbers of followers as you do um, f- the people that people you're following, following you. So you don't want it to be one-sided too high. You don't want too many followers and you're not following anybody and vice versa. And why is that? It's just, I think it helps in having people see that you as a real person.
3: You mean if you're just following people and only two people are following you? What that, doesn't, say well, about... that doesn't
2: look good, first of all, because no. then no. nobody is going to follow you because it looks like you're not doing anything interesting. Exactly. So that's very important. You definitely want to have followers. But then, if you're just fo- getting followers and not following, it looks like you don't care about people. Like you just want to be followed. You just want to be seen in the world, but you don't want to be. You don't want to listen. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So interesting, isn't it? It is. It, yeah, it's fascinating. And then it, I have it linked to my Facebook, so that any time I tweet, I put a tweet in Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it goes to my Facebook as well.
3: Well, speaking of technology, which is supposed to be so fantastic, my mine just went down the tubes here. So oh, I no. Yeah, so I'm just telling my board op now. He can go in my phones and tell me when we're ready to go to break because I can't. I, I have not on my IM. And, I, well, I just have to go by my studio phones, I guess. Anyway. Hopefully they'll to, play
2: some music. Or
3: hear the music, exactly. See, this is the stuff that's frustrating. It works until it doesn't work. Exactly. exactly. I mean, yeah, and then you can go nuts, right? It's true. I, yeah, I mean, I, um, and I I want to talk about this this person. There's a guy, it's called Electronic Inc., Electronic Inc., and the founder of Electronic Inc. is Harold Hambrose. And we're going to take a short break right now. But we will be back with our next, with our guest, Dr. Robert Levine, author of Shock Therapy for America's Healthcare System with Lauren Beller, Blake Catherine Zox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute.
4: voice counts. Call toll free one 1-866-472-5787 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com
0: If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style. Gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. You know Dance is Life. Life is Dance, broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network.
4: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to
1: the katherine zock show if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is 866-472-5788
3: Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. Good morning and thanks for joining us this morning with my co-host Lauren Beller-Blake. I'm Catherine Zox, and I'm your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com. And as promised, we have our first guest, actually our only guest today, Dr. Robert Levine, author of Shock Therapy for America's Healthcare System. I guess we have to, that's the extreme, shock therapy. Why Comprehensive Reform is Needed? Um, america i 'm going to give you some statistics. America spends more per person on healthcare care than any other nation Surprise seventeen percent of the economy or this is a this is a number that I have no comprehension two point five trillion and rising that 's our health care cost in spite of this america 's health Outcomes from infant mortality to life expectancy are lower than most other developed nations. And, yes, folks, 47 million people are uninsured. That's not a good statistic. Dr. Robert Levine is a neurologist in private practice in Norwalk, Connecticut and is the author of two other books Defying Dementia Dementia and Aging with Attitude that's something I want to know more about but not on this show winner of a choice award of the American Library Association and welcome to the show Dr. Levine nice to have you on Well
5: no, thank you very much for having me
3: Okay so you're going to tell us oh and you're a professor of medicine at Yale University Medical School that's key um we have okay you've diagnosed that we have major problems plaguing our healthcare infrastructure uh and you uh, we, well you've diagnosed us but now you've also explained or you explain in the book the various or the roles of the various parties involved in all of this insurance companies pharmaceutical companies hospitals healthcare providers and patients they are part of this problem so what do we do about it
5: Well, er everyone knows we have problems. The question is, how do we go about uh, addressing this? And uh, frankly, uh, the Obama administration and Congress really aren't getting to the nitty-gritty in terms of uh, controlling health care costs, escalating health care costs. I've been in practice since uh, 1969, right after Medicare went into effect. Um, And I've seen a per capita health care cost, the cost per person, Go from three hundred and fifty-six dollars a year to over seven thousand dollars a year. It's just unbelievable the way costs keep going up and up, and far out uh, outliving uh, or outdoing inf- regular inflation. And frankly, if these aren't controlled, uh, it's going to ha- be a, have a devastating effect on the economy. Uh, it's going to be just as bad as as this recession, or or even worse. There are unfunded liabilities of Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, in the tens of trillions of dollars, that's money that the federal government and taxpayers owe. Now, it's possible, you know, everyone's talking about um, paying for universal health coverage and how it's going to impact the economy, and it's going to be $100 billion here, $100 billion there, and it's going to wind up costing, say, about a trillion dollars. It's possible to have total health care reform, without spending an additional cent, without the federal government spending an additional penny, without any increased taxes, just by harvesting the savings within the healthcare system itself. Now, the people who are doing this don't want to address it in a really rational, fiscally responsible way because it means going after the stakeholders. It means that there's going to uh, be conflict with the insurance companies and with organized medicine. Uh, because they're the, the people who are really causing most of the problem. Administrative costs in the system itself is 25%. So we're, we're spending, um, actually, it's 15 to 25% of the estimates. If we say it's 20% uh, as a median, that means that $500 billion of what we spent, of that $2.5 trillion you were talking about, just goes for administration. And the reasons for that is the complexity of the system and the fact that we have to get approval for, te- for tests and procedures and uh, there's negotiations back and forth in terms of payment and, they, and the insurance companies have to decide how much they're going to charge uh, individuals uh, when they, uh, for their premiums. Uh, so the complexity of the system makes it very difficult. The estimated cost to run Medicare uh, in terms of percentage, are in the single digits. Probably 2 to 5% uh, of Medicare goes for administrative costs. The rest go for paying uh, out for services. So that's one thing that has to be addressed. The second thing that has to be addressed is unnecessary care. The Congressional Budget Office last year came out with an estimate that about 30% of your health care dollar goes for unnecessary care. We're talking about 800 to $850 billion a year goes for costs that are unnecessary, and they mean unnecessary procedures and unnecessary tests. And the biggest driver of this unnecessary care is um, the incentives that physicians have to do tests and procedures. Right, what ser- are the incentives? service Incentive.
3: Why do they do that? Why do we have all this unnecessary care? Because I think that's a big one.
5: You know, doctors are paid on the basis of volume of services and the procedures that they do. That's fee-for-service medicine. Doctors' income is dependent on uh, doing tests and procedures uh, or seeing more patients. They have to get this volume, and, and they have to do these tests and procedures in order to be paid. There's a major conflict of interest in that. And I can't tell you, in all the years of practice, how many unnecessary things that I've seen done and done purely for physicians to make money. Well, I can tell you, Dr.
3: Levine, as an individual patient, maybe you've had the same experience, Lauren. I've walked into a doctor's office, and they've seen me for 15 minutes and ordered, you know, five different tests. Half the time, I refuse them, and they're not necessary because I'm an informed patient or an informed consumer, I guess you would call it. But, you know, obviously, if you multiply that millions of times over, it's just what you're talking about. Right. But... What about the you know the person who goes into medicine these days, the doctor? I mean, is not is you know I don't see them necessarily as healers. They're they're men and women who want to make money. They're entrepreneurs. I think you talk about that in the book. A lot I mean, that's of, their a incentive. Lot of, they're in business.
5: A lot of a lot of physicians are entrepreneurs uh, because they're forced to be be entrepreneurs because that's the way they're going to make a a, a good living. We have to end FIFA service medicine and put doctors on salary. That's one of the ways that I think unnecessary care can uh, be cut down dramatically.
3: And don't uh, you we, think you'd get a different kind of physician if they're going to be on salary?
5: No. I, most, most of the doctors that I have spoken to, and I've spoken to a number of doctors about this plan, think it's a great idea. First of all, 30% of doctors are already salaried. It's not something that's coming out of the blue. And not only a thirty percent salary, but it keeps going up as more doctors want to be on salary, so they don't have to be businessmen and they don't have to run the practice and the ha- all the hassles of, of, of dealing uh, with insurance companies and, and trying to uh, run an office. So I think uh, a lot of doctors would be very, very happy with this. Uh, remember also that physicians coming out of medical school now, on average, have a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars worth. Of loans, student loans that they have to pay off, so they're coming out with uh, under a great burden. And part of what I'm I'm proposing is that medical school also be subsidized, uh, particularly for physicians who are going into primary care medicine, because we have a um, a dearth of, prim- of, of primary care doctors around.
3: Because they don't make a very good salary i mean in, in, in relation to the education and the work that they have to do, so they're not compensated in the same way as you know specialists are um, i mean it, that's an issue too isn't it I mean in, in our health care system if you have more competent primary care physicians, you'd be doing less testing and less you know high end cost very costly kinds of medical care wouldn't you i mean
5: absolutely absolutely uh, in in uh, Massachusetts, when they recently had this uh, change to try and get universal coverage. They had difficulty because the primary care doctors were overwhelmed. There weren't enough primary care doctors to go around to take care of all the new patients who suddenly had health care insurance. So pri- getting increasing primary care physicians is of, is of utmost importance, and their salaries have to be raised in, in comparison with the procedure-oriented specialists.
3: Now, Dr. Levine, let's, uh, let's talk about technology, because I think you mentioned that earlier. Um, We have all this technology, all this stuff that's used, even in terms of running offices, uh, medical facilities, and most people... Medical the personnel who are using the technology don't even know how to use it. I mean, you talk about administrative costs in hospitals, for instance. We can let's take hospitals with all you know. Um, there's all this, this this technology. I think that most users, physicians, administrators, don't know how to use.
5: Oh, a lot of, a lot of people don't, and that's and that's true. Um, One of the other uh, causes of of unnecessary care, a small amount, is duplication of tests. Uh, Because physicians don't have the information available, they'll order the same test that's previously been done. And uh, the Obama administration has talked about the need for electronic health records, and they're actually using that and saying that that's going to be a major uh, cost savings. I think over the years and maybe even over the decades, electronic health records are going to make a difference. It's going to definitely improve care, but it's going to be very costly, and I don't think there's going to be a great savings there, uh, particularly uh, when it's initiated um, at the beginning. Um, it's probably going to cost uh, um, upwards of $50 billion for every physician to have uh, interoperable electronic health records. That means electronic health records that will talk to each other and that are compatible. So that's really uh, uh, something down the line. The other, the other point that I wanted to make uh, for unnecessary care is defensive medicine, doctors ordering tests and procedures because they're afraid of being sued, they're afraid of malpractice, and uh, over-ordering these things because of that fear. Um, so there has to be reform of the malpractice system as part of health care reform. And that's not being addressed right now.
3: And why is that not being addressed? What can we do to get that addressed? Is that because the lawyers don't want it? Because they, you know, they make a lot of money on these malpractice suits or what?
5: Absolutely. The trial lawyers are a very, very powerful lawyer, uh, a very, very powerful lobby uh, in the system. Uh, The American Trial Lawyers Association, which is now, I think, called the American Association for Justice or something like that. They didn't like the way it sounded initially. But they're a very powerful lobby, and uh, the Democratic Party, particular, in particular, who is now uh, in charge, uh, are enthralled to these lawyers. These lawyers pay a huge amount of uh, campaign funds uh, to them. All right, we're Wait. going to
3: stop right there, take a short break. We're talking to Dr. Robert Levine, author of Shock Therapy for America's Healthcare System. I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com with my co-host, Lauren Blake. We will be back in a minute. Don't go away.
4: Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, Sponsored by Cision. U.S.CISION.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, time on the Voice America Business Network.
0: Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, For Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America.
4: Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern day Renaissance man, Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America health and wellness channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: listening to the katherine zox show if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is
2: 866-472-5788
3: we're back thanks for joining us i'm katherine zox i am your social worker with a microphone with my co-host lauren beller blake on voiceamericavariety.com and this morning we're talking to dr robert levine author of shock therapy for America's healthcare system, why comprehensive reform is needed. And this is a hot topic. We couldn't stop talking, the doctor and I and Lauren, during the break, and we brought up some more issues that each one of us are concerned with. Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Levine, every time I go to the doctor, no matter what my problem is, they want to drug me. They want to give me a sob. They want to... Whatever it is, there doesn't seem to be another solution for my problem, except I seem to figure it out. I sometimes will even take the prescription and then just throw it away and because I don't use the medication because it will take whatever my problem is. I mean, will we'll write itself. Um, and aren't we spending billions of dollars on unnecessarily, unnecessarily pharmaceuticals?
5: Um, that's part of it. The ph- you know the pharmaceutical uh, industry. Um... Gets into doctors' lives and spends a lot of money uh, marketing physicians as well as marketing uh, patients. A lot. I can't tell you how many patients come into my office and they've seen an advertisement on on television or they've heard it on the radio for a particular product and they think this is the answer for their problem. So it works both ways. I think doctors do uh, prescribe perhaps more liberally than they should, but also patients. Uh, ask for things that really are unnecessary. And part of that is is direct consumer advertising, which I don't think makes a lot of sense. Um, But, Dr. Levine, they they are the expert. It's like if you go to a
3: lawyer and you want to uh, prepare your own case, the lawyer is going to say, hey, that's illegal. No, you came to me. I'm the expert. This is the way we're going to do it. And so doctors, too, don't have to say to the consumer, that's not going to work or whatever it is. Don't they? They, Aren't they sort of in a... Different position as the professional.
5: No, I, th- I think patients should be uh, educated, and I think the more educated they are, the better it is. But I don't think they should be hit by uh, drug companies uh, telling them that uh, this is a wonderful answer for them, and if they have such and such symptoms, that this is going to uh, take care of their problem. So uh, I think the direct the direct consumer consumer advertising by the pharmaceutical industry and the marketing physicians by the pharmaceutical industry um, uh, should be uh, diminished greatly because I think that is a part of the problem. What I
3: do is my first question to the physician if I have a problem and he wants to give me medication is, well, what will happen if I don't take it? How long will it take to clear up by itself or go away? And usually eight times out of ten is, well, it may take a little bit longer, but it probably will go away by itself.
5: You also have to ask, what are the side effects going to be? What that, are the that, side effects? What are that's... the adverse effects? Because uh, it's always a balance between the adverse effects and the a positive effects. Every uh, substance that you put into your body has the potential of having some adverse effects. All
3: right, so that's a major question to ask. and And so if we can... Well, we've covered several areas with the cost of of medication and pharmaceuticals and advertising,
5: too. Let let, let me just mention the fact that um, the average consumer in the United States pays about 35% more for uh, drugs than in any other developed country because uh, Congress in the the drug uh, uh, Medicare Part D that was passed a few years ago prohibited Medicare from negotiating uh, with uh, the drug companies. Uh, this was sort of to, to help the drug companies enhance their profits because they weren't making enough money. So uh, why should why should we subsidize uh, the drug companies uh, for what they say is research and development when we pay uh, a third more on average than every other developed country for drugs? I think uh, this is a, another way that we could save money uh, if, if uh, every agency could uh, negotiate with the drug companies in order to get the prices down.
3: Do you think this is possible? I mean, you, I mean you, you cover each one of these issues specifically that we're talking about now, but also in the book. How do we go about doing all this reform? What do we do? I mean, you know, you you really, very specifically and clearly in the book, pointed out all, you know, what's wrong with the system and diagnosis. We've been talking about it. But so how can we, it seems overwhelming to me, or to the average consumer anyway.
5: In actuality, changing the system would not be difficult if it weren't for the uh, stakeholders, for the insurance companies and for organized medicine and the pharmaceutical companies who are going to mount a campaign against uh, any kind of major change. They don't want change. They're very happy with the status quo because they're making money this way. But uh, first of all, we have to have a single-payer system. As I mentioned earlier, and as I emphasized in my book, Shock Therapy for the American Healthcare System, um, Medicare, the average administrative costs are in the single digits. And, uh, the average costs for the rest of the healthcare system is 20%. We could save probably $250 billion, uh, if we change to a single-payer system. So that's the first thing that has to be done. And everyone immediately, uh, gets angry at that idea. They say, we don't want the government to run it and actually you can have a single-payer system that's not run by the government. Uh, I'm proposing that there's an independent agency like the Federal Reserve have a federal Medicare board that's going to be in charge of, uh, of health care, and they would be helped by standing committees who would help them uh, with policy, and there would be um, regional health entities uh, like consortiums of hospitals or medical schools that run healthcare for um, you know uh, groups of uh, two to five million people, and doctors would be placed on salary and would be paid by these regional health entities. So they would no longer be on fee for service. There would be no incentive for them to do any kind of tests or procedures. They would see patients, and there would be minor per percent, uh, uh, minor incentives uh, for quality and also for patient satisfaction and for productivity. Um, Patient satisfaction surveys could be done once or twice a year and doctors would get bonuses if patients were satisfied uh, with the care that they got from these doctors. Uh, if we do these kinds of things, uh, we could save huge amounts of money. Doctors, by the way, have to be well compensated. It's very important if you're going to get good people into medicine. But there's enough there's enough savings there that uh, doctors' salaries could be even better than they are now uh, and we would still save huge amounts of money. And would you, and I agree with inflation. you. They
3: need to be well compensated. What does that mean specifically? Like in terms of numbers, how would they be well compensated for if they were on salary?
5: Well, um, first of all, in terms of savings, if we save three quarters of what what goes right now for unnecessary care, that's about six hundred plus billion dollars. Now, just as an example, if we paid every physician in the country. Uh, $350,000 on average salary. Sounds like a huge amount of money. That comes to about $250 billion. There's another $400 billion out there that can go for uh, coverage of, uh, of uh, patients who don't have health insurance. And, by the way, the estimates are that it would probably cost about $150 billion a year to take care of these people. So you're left with additional savings, that could go for various things. Probably, uh, maybe cut down on the federal debt a little bit. There's a huge amount of savings out there just waiting to be taken.
3: I have a question. I don't think this is popular, but I've mentioned it on the show before. I mean, Americans are how much in, in terms of taking responsibility for our own health care? The whole issue, and I have to bring this up of obesity mm-hmm. and overweight, and fifty to sixty percent of Americans uh, there are are overweight, if not obese, which causes them to require medical attention, you know, type 2 diabetes, all of these things that one gets because of overeating. Um, do we have any responsibility as consumers not to do that? Or if if you are 100, 200 pounds overweight, maybe you, one could – this is – I know not going to be popular, but maybe people should be taxed if they can't stay healthy or they maintain some degree of health care on their own. What do you think about that?
5: Well, that's a catch twenty two. I know, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, because if we don't, uh, if we tax these people, one of the, one of the ideas is to charge them higher premiums. If you're a smoker or if you're overweight, uh, charge them higher premiums for health care. But that means they won't get the health care. And ultimately, down the line, it may be more expensive to take care of them. So it's real. I agree with you. It's really, uh, and a lot of people are very angry that their health care dollar, that uh, their taxes goes for paying for people who are uh, are smokers or who are not taking care of themselves and are overweight. But it it doesn't seem to be a a good way to approach that. All right. Uh, it's it's hard.
3: Um. It's maybe we'll be able to i i don't know i still i know it, this it doesn't seem to be a good way to approach it, but I think we have to i think america we have to take some responsibility i think consumers have to take some responsibility for our health care i I really do, and I think that means taking care of ourselves and being healthy and as a nation, we're not doing that, so we're i just I, I'm not going to let that one go, but anyway but
5: how how can twenty seven percent of the public still be smoking? When they know it causes uh, cancer, it increases the incidence of heart attacks and strokes, it causes emphysema, and 27% of the, of the population are still smoking after uh, how many years of advertising and uh, being told that it's unhealthy for them.
3: But the smoking thing has a mo- an addictive quality, psychologically and so physically. So Nicotine is physically addictive. It's a drug. Now, I know that food can also be uh, addictive psychologically, but uh, I would venture to say that probably not physically. I mean, one has right. more. Yeah, so that it's, I think it's kind of, kind of comparing apples and oranges. Not exactly the same thing. Smoking is like a drug, or is a drug. It is a drug, right?
5: Yeah. So it, it is highly addictive.
3: Yeah. People, so isn't people, that different?
5: People I mean, get into I, patterns of eating, and also uh, people don't want to exercise. Exercise is so vitally important for everyone, and it has to start at an early age, and the more you do, the better it is. Uh, Aside from cutting down on heart attacks and strokes, exercise uh, is one of the things that prevents dementia as you get older. So uh, the Institute of Medicine recommends an hour of aerobic exercise every day for every person. How many people are doing that? I think it's vitally important that uh, everyone exercise. When so it Dr. Levine, the we have
3: an attitude, and I think in this country, we overconsume everything. I mean, we have whatever it is, you know, you know the, the whole economic crisis. You know, we buy houses that are too big. We take too much medication. All of us are involved. We eat too much. If you look 50 years ago, people, at, and I've talked about this on the show before. Fifty years ago, you look at a high school yearbook or a college yearbook or a medical school yearbook, you didn't see people who were 100 pounds overweight or 50 pounds overweight. So it has to do with our habits and our attitude as a country, you know, as well as just the facts of, oh, we have to say goodbye. It's, I just want to mention your book one more time, Dr. Robert Levine, Shock Therapy for America's Healthcare System. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning.
5: Okay, you can get the book, by the way, at uh, Amazon or at Barnes and Noble online. Or you can go to my website, which is Robert A. Levine MD, com.
3: Terrific. Thank you.
5: Thanks for having me.
3: We'll be back in a minute. Catherine Zox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com.
4: Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America.
3: We're back. Thanks for joining us this morning, Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller Blake, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> We've been up for a while, and I hope you've been listening and uh, had a great dis- discussion with Dr. Robert Levine. He's doing really good stuff, and he's very qualified. He's a professor of uh, medicine at Yale University, and talking about our healthcare system that isn't working and. Uh, uh, it's, we're spending trillions of dollars, and it's going to get worse, and uh, 42 million Americans aren't, don't even have health care. So we've got to get, on. I think, don't you, Lauren, on the bandwagon with this, and we have Absolutely. to get doctors like Dr. Levine and read his book um, because it's, it's easy to read. I mean, easy to read. It's, the consumer can read it and understand it. It's not medical. I'm looking for the exact title again here. I've got all these papers on my desk. Um shock therapy right shock therapy shock for the, therapy for the medical yeah healthcare system yeah the health yeah and it is shock therapy shock therapy for america's healthcare system dr levine you can buy the book he said amazon.com bookstores everywhere you can also go to uh his website uh, if you just uh, look up dr robert it's dr robert a levine but here's something, remember, in the beginning of the show, well, Dr. Levine mentioned one of the problems in healthcare, Lauren, is the fact that, you know, all this technology that we have doesn't work properly, um, that we need new technology, we need electronic le- records for patients and doctors. Right. All right. But I was interviewing this, this uh, author and founder of this company called Electronic Inc. His name is Harold Ambrose, and he maintains, well, he's he's uh, written a new book called Wrench in the System. What's sabotaging your business software and how you can release the power to innovate? But, I mean, that's all very, sounds complicated, but it's not what he says, and this makes so much sense. He says we are wasting so much time and so much energy because of the technology that we use has been created not in terms of designed so that we as consumers know how to use it, but just in terms of function. So you have all these machines and all this technology and all this software that people don't use properly. So we are wasting time and money because the whole systems don't work. You know what I'm trying to say?
2: I do. I totally do. So it's a whole other aspect of the healthcare system that's not working because we've invested in this technology, but we don't know how to use it.
3: Yeah. And the people who are supposed to be administrators in hospitals, and he works with hospitals, Harold Hambrose, um, that's one of the institutions or corporations that he works with, and they don't know how to use it. So that it's not even being used properly. And he maintains that we have to design technology, software, even consumer products that people know how to use. I mean, mo- many, most of us, people buy computers and only use about, a let's say... A percent. percentage,
2: like our brains, just like our brains.
3: Exactly. So that's a waste of time, and it's a waste of money.
2: I agree with you. You're speaking you... to the choir, lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to disagree
3: with me. I'm but not going to. And... What?
2: And I do think they're... you're right. When you buy a computer... Why aren't we getting the training so that we are using, utilizing more of it? I mean, or you I don't can't... need it. You'll never use it. You
3: buy a cell phone. How many, how many features on the cell phone do you need or do you use? Exactly. Buy what That's... you need? I mean, if you just need a very simple cell, most and most. I'm saying most people, the percentage of people, need a simple cell phone, a simple camera, a simple television. Those are the you know user friendly.
2: And we tend to over, as you said it so well when you were speaking to Dr. Levine a few minutes ago. As Americans, we tend to overeat, we tend to overmedicate, we tend to overbuy products with all these features, but we never learn how to use them because it's—I think—it's all about our own egos. That our egos are so developed, and we haven't, we're not keeping up with, with what's possible for us in any sense of the mean, any any way, shape, or form.
3: So we're spending all this money, we're in debt, and then we sit back and wonder why. Well, it's all interrelated.
2: Exactly. It's all interrelated.
3: Get his book or go online and look up com. Harold Hambrose. You'll find this. it's a uh, fascinating. It's just what we're talking about. And he started out as a graphic designer at Carnegie Mellon. Interesting. Yeah.
2: It That's... goes along with what Dr. Levine was saying today as well.
3: Yeah, it does. It's very cool.
2: Also, here's another one. Want to talk about relationships? Oh, I love that one. Let's go.
3: <laughs> Dr. Noel, this is another doctor, but she's a psychologist. What do you think about this, Dr. Noel Nelson? When marriage becomes all business, women complain and men leave.
2: Women complain but about relationships. Oh, I think that's so true.
3: And men leave. She only totally true. Well, what do you think of this? Because we're both involved in relationships. You married me, not but monogamous relationship for many, many years, as everybody knows, uh, at least on my side. (laughs) I keep saying that, but... (laughs) What does
2: that mean? Oh, I see, on your side. You're not sure about Barry, but... I am sure,
3: but, you know, you always think you're sure, and then you're always surprised. Oh, God, not Barry. No, well, that's what they always say. You never know. You're setting yourself up. I am setting myself up. All right. But okay, this is what Doctor. No, this is a, this is a common problem, the business of a relationship. You know, people when they get into a relationship, what happens is that you know after the chemistry wears off, they don't want to jump into bed with each other every week. <laughs> um, often the business of a relationship: who's picking up the kids, what to eat for dinner, you know, what about our family budget? That's all about the business of relationships, uh-huh. and that she says gets in the way of closeness obviously that's necessarily necessary in a marriage so that the intimacy can diminish from a couple's love life it's not that they don't love each other as much but there's no more closeness no more feeling of connection and she says women will initially like feel that way they know there's something not quite right but it's not that they don't think that their partner or husband doesn't love them but they kind of sense that things aren't once as good or the way they were they weren't connected in the way they were before so that they will say they will respond by complaining about it to their to their partner um but men don't resp- men don't aren't able to to respond they don't seem to be able you know that it it turns them off when a woman complains about
2: the relationship I agree or, with that men do get turned off and i've had a I had a great coach say to me that it's not, there's always usually one person in a relationship, usually the woman, but I'm being, I don't want to be generic. That is sort of like the, um, the person that sees the pres- what's possible for the relationship and that person tends to complain because they know what's possible.
3: But the other person backs out. But it Exactly. Is, and she, Dr. Nelson says it's the man. First they back out emotionally. They're just not there. Then mentally. And then lastly, physically, they go and have their affairs. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah, and so that you have to be very specific about planning what you're going to – if you feel that kind of lack of closeness, one of the things that keeps couples together, and we actually talked about the Clintons, even though Bill Clinton, you know, had affairs and did all his stuff, you all – and I was never able to define it. What they had were shared experiences. That's what keeps couples together. Not the sex, not the, you know, uh, you know, that kind of, maybe you define it as passion, but shared experiences. So you have to make sure that you have shared experiences. Shared experiences.
2: And shared experiences that keep you emotionally connected.
3: Yes, I mean, not shared experiences like doing the dishes. Is that exactly. what you mean?
2: Exactly, right. Well, so for some people, they could be doing the dishes, and it's a very emotionally connecting experience. Not for me. Not for me either. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: oh, we only have 30 seconds left, so can we round it up with anything, or are we just going to say goodbye? Uh, cheers to shared experiences, huh? It's shared experiences, folks. You've been, we've had a shared experiences. Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller, Blake, Voice America, variety.com we've enjoyed sharing this experience with you this week and hope to do the same thing next week have a great day you too Catherine. yep